Hi there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the MapRound Show. This is the Built in California series, um, chatting up and talking to some incredible founders who are really changing the shape and feel of the world of business. With me on the line is the CEO of Dynam.ai. Yes, .ai. <laughs> Diana Shapira, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. Good to be here. No, the privilege is all mine. So I've obviously had the chance to get to know you and really, uh, you know, see what and learn about what you guys are doing. So I'm very uh, grateful to have you here. Um, so why don't you kick us off, get us off out of the starting blocks, uh, Diana? Give us the kind of you know elevator pitch uh, about what uh, or your background and now like kind of what you're doing at, at uh, Dynam. Sure. Um, well, my background, I've been in data and analytics for my entire career, which is about 25 years. So now you can guess my age. Um, starting in the late 90s, I was part of a company called Capital Management Sciences, which was focused on uh, the fixed income markets and projecting where yield curves, um, when yield curves shifted, how that would affect prepayment models for bond portfolios. And that was my foray into analytics, really. Uh, prior to that, I was a stockbroker, believe it or not, but I was more excited about my Bloomberg terminals and the analytics flashing on my screen than I was about calling little old ladies and selling them stocks and bonds. So um, analytics was my thing early on. Um, I stuck with that for about six years, um, and these were the founders of MarketWatch.com. So I got to benefit from some early options in that company before they went public. Um, and really got hooked. Um, from there, I thought I was going to retire and and really have kids and um, build my life around my kids. And instead, I took two weeks off and started my own company. So a little different than uh, what I had expected, but it did give me the opportunity to work from home, stay at home with my kids. Um, and I became a franchise owner uh, for a company that was diverting waste from landfills back when it, it wasn't cool yet to do so. And we built that company, um, grew it from 100,000 in revenue a year up to 26 million um, over a 14 year period. I ended up getting sucked up into corporate multiple positions within. Um, really enjoyed that. Thought I was retiring again at the top like Seinfeld. And I took about six weeks off. Came across a company that was doing pretty incredible things for veterans with uh, PTS, um, really looking at brainwaves from EEG technology and then developing treatment plans using TMS. It's going through clinical trials right now with Special Operations Command. I'm still an owner in that company. Stayed with that company for better part of five years. Stepped down during COVID. Um, really difficult uh, to sell uh, during COVID. And um, really, the, the clinical trials had to stop as well. So um, everything is back on again. But during that time frame, I used the opportunity to go back to school at MIT and get my certificate in machine learning and artificial intelligence. Because one of the things we were struggling with at that company was how do we take brainwaves um, and create a treatment plan um, using TMS? There, we need algorithms for the diagnostics. And then how does that translate into a treatment plan? And I didn't know where to get started. I didn't know who to call. We didn't have a data science team at, at the company. We're just a startup. And I realized um, in, in speaking to fellow COOs and CROs that no one really understood AI, and they still don't to this day, quite frankly. There are so many disciplines under AI. And so going to school and really getting that background really was really, really helpful. And it got me even more excited about uh, being in this field or extending into this field as it is part of data and analytics. And I found Dynam AI. Um, pretty quickly after I left um, uh, the certification program and joined them as their CRO to help them turn things around and really get um, their services side of their business going. They had some pretty incredible data scientists that were part of an R&D team originally as part of a venture group and um, really help build products and services together. So it's really called Serveware, which in the AI industry is a thing. It's service-enabled software. AI is still so new, it's so immature that really need to um, encompass it with services in order to get companies off the ground. And so uh, Dynam um, was formed in 2021 as a uh, separate independent company from the Venture Studio, which was Analytic Ventures. We got in some investors to invest in um, us really uh, operationalizing uh, artificial intelligence and putting a platform and service together 
and being able to bring to market some pretty revolutionary um, things with machine learning. So we're advancing machine learning. Um, we're giving it the, the ability to bring context into the mix rather than just being data driven. And we're getting a lot of traction from that. So it really speeds up the amount of time it takes to train models. Um, don't worry, I won't geek out on you. Um, <laughs> but it gives you the ability to take things into consideration like macroeconomic conditions or a drought or a war and how that will impact supply chain, how it will impact revenue, how it will impact anything to do with your business. Um, the other thing that's cool that we can bring in is behavior. And so br being able to bring in how behaviors are affected by what's going on in the physical world. So first principles. Um, and so that that's kind of where we're at. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, uh, Diana. So uh, I'm curious to understand, and I'm sure um, our audience uh, around the world is as well, is, you know, there's a lot of talk about AI, like if I speak to 10 founders, probably nine of them have some kind of AI or ML or computer vision sort of technology enabled business model. Um, so I think certainly in the startup space, there's there's a lot of applications of AI. Um, however, what you're saying is it's, it's quite an interesting thing that like, you know, these big companies, the CEOs, they're, they're still struggling to um, to integrate AI and ML into their businesses. Not everybody, but like in general, that would, that would be fair to say that that's the truth. So if that is the case, why? Why is that the case? Surely these big companies, you would imagine with all the resources that they have, would be able to more effectively integrate these sort of hard tech, um, you know, uh, technologies into their businesses. Yeah, so it's really, it's a, a fascinating area um, that we call enterprise decision intelligence. Um, and it's a, a new up and coming sector, um, according to Gartner, where you really need to, for artificial intelligence to be effective, you actually have to go take a step back and look at your decision making process or whatever process it is that you're looking to automate, because that's truly where AI comes into play is improving accuracy and automating, right? So speed. Uh, you want to grow the company, you want to scale the company, you want to do it with, with as few resources as possible. Um, and so it's all about differentiation. But in order to get there, you have to actually break down your processes and understand how to plug them into a decision tree. Um, and companies initially just didn't do that. They just sort of um, glommed on to machine learning, which makes data ingestion a lot faster. It's great with categorization and defining you know, what is in my data set, what happened yesterday, um, and then being able to use those things to predict what's going to happen next. But it's not intelligent. And so true AI is really getting smarter over time. It's almost like the brain where the more information that you give it, the better it is at the analytics and the better it is at helping with whether it's a decision uh, support tool or actual decision making, you have to make your AI solution intelligent. And that is not happening. I would say very uh, few companies are actually able to use AI in an intelligent way. Um, ML is getting faster and faster. You'll see, you know, thousand times fast um, machine learning, 10,000 times fast machine learning. But the truth is it's garbage in, garbage out. So you could do it really fast, but if it's not accurate, um, it's not really meaningful to the companies. And so there's a lack of trust is what, what it comes down to. If you can't show your work, if you can't look at how an algorithm actually achieved the results, then you can't really use that analytic result in order to make a decision. And that's the problem. There's a disconnect between the data scientists that are actually doing the coding and working on the AI solutions and the C-level, which are the folks that really would like to automate and include this level of intelligence. But in order to take your hands off the reins, you have to trust the results that are coming out. Um, and so that, that is an area we're working on, decision intelligence, really breaking down that decision-making process and then putting algorithms behind them. Um, and then a feedback loop. So, okay, we had an analysis and here's the result we got. Did we like that result? And if we did like that result, let's provide that feedback to the AI model so that we can do that again. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't like the result, let's provide that feedback so that we can make an adjustment and not do it again. So optimizing your AI models has become super important. And that's where you gain trust. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, Diana, I'm just going to bring up uh, your guys' website here. So, I'm curious because you know what's interesting about like the the applications of AI. There's just so many. You know what I mean? Like, let's if you think about automation in supply chain. Well, how many uh, companies and industries are and have some kind? Of, there's tons. Like, there's literally tons. Uh, and so, I'm curious to unpack with you. You know, like what are some of the common use cases? Because is is it always about saving money and re- you know reducing headcount, or you know what I mean? Like what are the yeah. and you and you keep talking about like decision intelligence and things like this. So I'd love for us to get like quite practical at this point from a use case perspective and say, look, you know, if you come to Dynam.ai as a as a customer, here's like some common use cases that we solve for companies like this. Where does the rubber hit the road for you guys? Yeah, so we're um, a little bit different. Um, I would say 99% of the companies that have implemented an AI solution are doing it for truly simple things like um, detection on whether people are wearing their hard hats at a construction site, or that's a car, that's a cat, that's a black cat. That's what's going on right now. Facial recognition, um, you know, your your Amazon your uh, Amazon Alexa that you can talk to, Neuralink uh, NLP. Um, natural language processing. Those are the the types of AI solutions that are are easily getting um, implemented right now. What we're doing is a step above that. What we're doing is we're actually doing prescriptive analytics, which means rather than predictive analytics, which is giving you kind of a forecast based on historical events, we're doing prescriptive analytics, which takes into account what's going on in the physical world right now and looking at the historical data and trying to bring in relevant models that matter during that process, like economic conditions, human behavior, a biological model for viruses, for instance, and then being able to, to uh, uh, make a recommendation, so a recommender and a predictor that are really based on the real world. And so I'll give you a great example. Um, most of our clients sign NDAs with us, so I can't talk about a lot of them, but the company that we have a strategic partnership with actually just published um, this groundbreaking uh, result uh, that we helped them with. So American Robotics is our um, our, our uh, strategic partner. Um, they also, their parent company, made a significant investment in Dynam last year. And so we have a pipeline of projects we're working on with them in the oil and gas industry, for the oil and gas industry. Um, so they're a drone company, um, uh, really uh, uh, autonomous drone in a box solution, um, and they're really um, getting a lot of traction in the oil and gas industry uh, for loss of containment, so looking for oil spills, fugitive emissions, um, and then security detection. And came to us because their uh, analytics, sort of the -the out-of-the-box computer vision analytics that come um, from just a standard payload, which is a camera or a sensor, um, is pretty minimal. And it can do those simple things that I shared with you before. But what their customers, you know, the the big oil companies would like is real time. And they want to know when that oil spill is happening as it happens. They don't want to know about the fact that it already happened, they want to see that there there are signals there that are indicative that we're, we're about to have a pretty big problem, and that will save them billions of dollars. And so what we were able to do for American Robotics is improve their, their software solutions or upgrade their software solutions to do things in the drone space with aerial imagery that no one else is doing. Um, so one thing, um, I think it's okay for me to share this, even though they're a publicly traded company, is cloud artifact removal. So when you're thinking about being outside and taking pictures outside, you've got shadows from clouds, from trees, from all these things. That looks like an oil spill. Could be an oil spill. we got to send some guy in a golf cart if it is an oil spill. So it would be nice to know <laughs> if it is or not. Um, a garbage bag, a black garbage bag is made of the same composition or substrate as an oil spill. So is it a garbage bag? Is it a shadow or is it an actual oil spill? So this is a, a trouble within the drone space, um, commercial drone space, where they need to get much better at being able to decipher what is actually in those images. Otherwise, you know, they're just cool drones flying overhead and they're not really accomplishing much. So what we were able to do with American Robotics is remove clouds from these images, which means we used physics models to identify something was a cloud, 
And then that image becomes clearer and you can actually see whether, what's going on on the ground without those artifacts around. So you eliminate all the false positives and false negatives. So that was truly brown, groundbreaking. And then alongside that, um, we were able to look at an oil spill and break down the composition and the reflection that an oil, oil spill will have. It's called an irradiance model that's part of physics. Um, and build that in to train the model to recognize oil versus these other substrates. And so... Um, built a prototype for them, a working prototype, and we're in the process of productizing that for them right now with mm -hmm. them. So that's a good example too. I can give you, I have bunches more on different industries, but that kind of went along. No, that's, no, that's, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's great. Uh, I think what I'm hearing there, uh, Diana, is that this is about, uh, to a large extent, automating critical decision-making, not only from like a predictive perspective, but to your point now around like what is it a garbage bag or is it an oil spill it's also like reasoning right um so like is that do you feel like that's the issue for companies it's about figuring out or automating critical decision making in such a way that it doesn't actually fail it actually generates the kind of outcomes that you know they're looking for 100%. So you nailed it and that's the problem with machine learning which is the go to AI uh uh, discipline right now. It excludes reasoning, logic, and common sense. And so mm -hmm. if you're thinking about it, any decision you're trying to make, if you can make it without those three things, great, go for it with it, out-of-the-box solutions for machine learning. You can do it all day long. But if you need logic, reasoning, and common sense, yeah, you need outside models to train models, how to think more like the human mind can think and we've not gotten there as a society yet and until now actually with dynam mm. um, so that is exactly what we're doing so we have a technology that is termed context augmented machine learning it brings context into the machine learning process um, so there are um, uh, some research centers and uh, in academia that have published papers on this um, that have been doing this for a long time very manually takes months to years to actually build a solution that includes context. And so what we've done is automated that. Um, we've productized that. And um, therefore, it can happen in minutes rather than months. And that's pretty groundbreaking um, for any industry. So we're building that tool, using it internally to help um, companies differentiate, really, um, by mm. solving industry-related problems, just like American Robotics did for the oil and gas industry. We're looking to partner with companies similarly where we can just solve these bigger problems. There are so many out there. Healthcare industry is a great one. Manufacturing all over the place um, would be great. Um, medical decisions is, is certainly an area of interest um, for us. The financial industry is another great one. And then um, surprisingly, we're getting a lot of interest from the big five consulting companies. So those are the, the ones where um, companies that don't have an internal data science team, they usually will go to the, the big five consulting companies to outsource their solutions. But those big five are having the same problems that other companies are having, where they just need to get that, to that next level of AI, like what you were talking about with logic and reasoning um, and improving business outcomes. And they just can't get there with where machine learning is right now. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like the, one of the things that uh, I want to double click on with you is when you said like there's, you know, there's, there's some out of the box, you know, AI solutions, but they don't really, there's not like a problem uh, market fit, <laughs> Pro you know, like application there. Um, and also I've been checking out um, your, your website. And also I see there that you guys um, actually enable like, enterprise customers to outsource this problem to to startups or your 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 startup as an example what i'm curious to ask you though uh, diana is like is this something or what is what is the benefit of going direct to dynam versus trying to build a team internally to solve this you know uh, predictive intelligence uh, decision making problem for for corporates well, the problem is, number one, cost, right? So right out of the gate cost. So if you have someone that's already done it um, and they've already broken the code and, and have a solution to lower the amount of time it takes up to 65% um, for implementing the project because we're just faster and more accurate, then you're our, it's an ROI decision. But the, the, the real truth of it is that they're not teaching this in grad school. And so... 
while the data scientists in, in the world are brilliant and they come out of school with, you know, um, degrees with rem remote sensing or communications or any of these other disciplines, they're not teaching these um, more advanced uh, AI um, methods because they weren't invented back then. So, of course, they couldn't learn them. So they come, they come to us um, at Dynam. We've had, we have a team of six that have been with us for a number of years, um, some of them since 2016. And it's just over time we've been able to patent and develop these types of methodologies that they can leverage so they're not having to reinvent the wheel. Um, so that's, I think, the number one reason. So, Diana, is it fair to say that this is about, well, like you guys have built obviously a, a technology platform that's physics uh, physics informed, right? So it's the idea of this intelligent application. Is it fair to say that, you know, a, a, an enterprise customer or any business really looking to level up their application, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it possible just to level up any application with AI? Like, what is the extent of that idea when you say leveling up an application? Yeah, so, um, well, American Robotics was a really good example, right? So they already had um, an AI-driven um, application, which it's data and analytics, okay? So, so let's be clear. It wasn't intelligent because it wasn't optimizing and it, there was no feedback loop. It wasn't getting smarter over time. But it was doing machine learning, and so you can call it AI. But was it intelligent? No. So if there are applications out there, or even um, they don't even have to be applications that are currently considered artificial intelligence, but if they want to make the, the application intelligent where it's actually learning, it's actually getting better at solving their problems or making those decisions over time, that's what leveling up is. That's what advancing is. That's involving logic and reasoning and common sense into your application. Um, it's building these uh, decision trees and adding in neural networks, but also being able to train the model how to behave more cognitively. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? It does. It does. O only just. This is like higher grade, beyond my pay grade stuff. <laughs> You're letting me geek out with you, Matt. I know. So, you were... <laughs> you know, I, can't, I can't guarantee I won't totally go off the deep end with my geekiness. You went full nerd real quick. <laughs> so um, how accurate is this? Because I'm curious, you know, like if this is about like automating critical decisioning, right? Like that's a really tough thing to do. And you talk about, uh, you know, a training models, you talk about, you know, a, a science, you talk about these sorts of things. Um, how accurate is this actually, you know, like how fast do you get to like a 96 percentile in terms of accuracy? Is it something that you can get to within a month or is it six months? Like from a time to value perspective, how long is it? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, so there's two processes, right? So you're building a prototype first. And while you're building that prototype, you want to make sure you understand the KPIs, which are, you know, what, what is going to indicate success, right? What does the decision need to look like? Or what does the analytic results need to look like for it to be deemed successful? So that's one thing that we do um, that's super important. And then it goes back to decision intelligence, which is breaking down that, de that decisioning process to the lowest common denominator and then putting algorithms behind each one. So after we've built that MVP model, um, you test it. And what that means is you ingest data. Uh, the model runs after being trained and you look at the results that you're getting. And if you're not happy with those results, you're not going to deploy it into the environment and just go with it and 
forget about it, you're going to refine it. So it creates that optimization layer. So you're simulating and optimizing until it's actually at that point. And so for us, you know, customers will say, well, we want 97% accuracy, that will be success. Or maybe it's just any level of accuracy because they've never automated it and they have a guy in a golf cart going out three times a day to look for an oil spill. They'll be happy with anything, right? Even if they have to double check it with a human. And so it just, it matters on where the company is now and where they want to go, but it, it will get smarter over time. Mm-hmm. So who's buying this? I mean, is this a data scientist that's, you know, buying this thing? Is it the CEO? Like you spoke about decision trees up front. I'm very curious, like how does an enterprise fortune, you know, 500 company procure an AI, you know, solution from a company like Dynam? Yeah. So it's originating at the, at the very top level, which is surprising for me because um, in most of the data and analytics solutions that I've sold in the past, it's been, you know, either to portfolio managers or it's been to, you know, doctors and physicians, or it's been to the industrial space. And it, it comes in at whatever level is using the tool, which in this case is the data science team. But the reason that we're getting the calls from the C-level and above is because What's happening at the data science level, sorry, data scientists out there, is that they're failing. And uh, unfortunately, they're just not able to get done what they are set out to get done because AI technology just hasn't evolved yet to a point where they could actually incorporate logic and reasoning. Um, And they're having to build models that take sometimes years to just try to figure it out. Um, And so the C-level is you know, right now we're in a recession, you could say, Um, they're trying to figure out how do I increase my ROI? Because Mm. clearly I'm looking at my data science team right now and it's, they're not done yet. It's still, they're still trying, but it's not evolving. So they want to get it going. And so they're looking at experts to come in and help with that. And, And that's where we start. And then typically after the first um, conversation, they say, well, now I have to bring in my data scientist because I don't understand truly what you're saying. I get that you can solve my problem, but now let's, let's scope the project, which I can't do as a CEO. And let's talk about how do we implement the solution. Mm -hmm. So So twofold. Twofold. Yeah. And it's, I'm very curious, even just from a, from a, you know, cause I do speak to technical founders pretty much every day all day (laughs) and for something like ai like this you know it's super valuable whether you're trying to automate things reduce costs make better effective decisioning and that kind of stuff but how do you choose like if again like i'm I'm looking at the press release section on your website there's like fintech there's healthcare there's manufacturing there's like a lot of possible use cases um, what's your advice to like a, a founder that's solving a hard science problem, working with things like computer vision, AI, ML, et cetera, in terms of like choosing the customer? Because it's like you can be, right, everything to everyone. But, you know, to scale, there's, there's got to be, there must be, I've learned that you should really niche into a specific thing. Like find one use case that you can solve a hundred times, yep. you know what I'm saying, rather than you know, trying to be a hundred things to a hundred people. So right. how do you, what's your advice around choosing your, your ideal customer? So you have to take, stop thinking about AI for a hot second and you have to look at what business problem am I trying to solve that I have not yet solved. Um, so you have to, rather than thinking about how can I incorporate AI, it's more about how can I grow my company? How can I scale my company? How can I do it with fewer resources so that I have a much bigger bottom line in the end, right? I'm a salesperson by training. That's where I look. Um, and I wouldn't advise any customer any differently. And so the conversations we're having with C-level folks, um, even data scientists is what are the problems that you're trying to solve right now that you're unable to do with existing technology, existing resources. And it's surprisingly all over the map. So we've got cloud artifact removal. We talked about, um, we have oil, you know, oil spill detection, but then I've also got um, uh, in the healthcare industry claim denials. How do we predict whether or not a claim, a healthcare claim, is going to get denied? That's a great one, right? That's a great application for us. Um, uh, another one could be um, a glucose monitor. So we want to get better at uh, detecting high blood sugar levels. 
um, because we want to outpace the competition. We want to do better. So if we in court, if we use camel context augmented machine learning, can we perfect or can we make the, the blood glucose um, uh, detection more accurate? Mm. Another great application, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got another one coming from one of the big five consulting in, in the mining area, right? Like how do we get better at mining gems or mining coal or mining anything? Um, because we're dependent on this machine that could overheat if our output goes too fast, too high, too fast, right? But we want to get our output levels at the highest capacity possible. So some sort of process optimization that's looking at heat, which is heat diffusion as a physics model, and understanding when heat gets to a specific level that we need to tone down on output and production. And being able to automate that, imagine how many people you can remove from that process, right? So you need Mm. a system that's accurate and can be trusted, but then you're increasing output with fewer resources. It's a, it's a dream come true for that company. So exactly. Business process automation is by far the top. And then the second is really new revenue streams, new products um, that they can develop because they know more about their end customers and what their end customers like and can take that feedback to develop new, um, products and services that are in demand currently. So product market fit, it's great for that too. Uh, I would imagine, yeah. So so there's two things I want to get into. One is like uh, you mentioned Gartner earlier. So where would you say, you know, the Gartner hype cycle, I know you know that, but like where would you say AI is in on the Gartner hype cycle? Are we kind of in the trough of disillusionment? Are we in like stages of enlightenment? Like where would you say the, the, the institution of business, the business ecosystem is when we are talking about technologies like AI, where are we? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, we're partners with Gartner for a reason. Um, we have access to all their amazing research and they're really truly like my executive team. So I've got this amazing 400 advisors that are providing, you know, all this um, uh, uh, advice to me. So they have all these different hype cycles. There's not just one. And AI has its own separate hype cycle. There are probably a hundred different disciplines on the hype cycle. And as you mentioned, right, there's disillusionment, you know, uh, hype and excitement, and then enlightenment, and then, you know, what's going to be the long term, what's coming off the back end where we've got a nice 10 year um, growth cycle from it. And the areas that we're playing in, I can't talk about the other areas that we're not playing in, but the two of the areas that are the most exciting are really um, the physics-informed AI or bringing first principles into AI um, and um, uh, machine learning, obviously, but a more advanced machine learning, advanced computer science, um, and uh, an area called composite AI putting those together. So what composite AI is, is taking, p- handpicking different disciplines within AI based on the use case, and then putting them together to solve the problem that's better than just using one AI um, uh, discipline. That's the next big thing. And that is decision intelligence. And that's, that's the way we're riding. Um, enterprise decision intelligence means that it doesn't matter how complex your decision is. It doesn't matter um, how complicated the analytics are behind it, that it can be solved. And you can't expect it to be solved by just one discipline. Um, so we've really picked all over the hype cycle. So things that are new up and coming, which is physics informed AI, things that are on that upward trajectory that have already gone through the hype and enlightenment, which is computer vision. So advanced computer vision, that's for images. And then this whole composite AI, which is handpicking um, different types of AI um, and then pairing it with a more advanced context augmented machine learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the wave of the future. And Gartner has actually said that decision intelligence is the next big thing in AI. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I listen to you speak, there's lots of languaging happening okay (laughs) physics models precision intelligence automated you know decision decisioning decision trees um you know all these sorts of things which i know you know backwards of course and maybe gartner knows goes (laughs) knows them but i mean like the and this is kind of where i'm going with this like 
you're selling something that's not simple. It's not a pair of shoes, right? This is a complex sales process. Um, and when you're engaging with a C-suite executive that potentially isn't familiar with the languaging around AI, remember, it's like, it's quite an interesting insight, isn't it? It's like you, you do this hard science thing and so you know it, but you're selling it into a business that potentially is just curious about you know, how it can create value for them, but they don't know the languaging. They don't know the terms and all this kind of stuff. But, and now it's also a complex sales process. How do you overcome that? Like a complex sales process, languaging that's different to a customer that's not as informed as you are. Yeah, Matt, it's, it's the reason I went back to school at MIT is that exact reason is how do I talk to business people differently than I talk to my team? Um, constantly needing to dummy it down, but it's not always going to be this way. Eventually, these terms will all become commonplace. Um, but right now, it's really like going to the doctor, honestly. It's like triaging. So my consults with the C-level or when I meet you know, someone at a conference, I was just at AI4, it was awesome, um, is find out, just talk to them about what their problems are. Don't talk to them about artificial intelligence. Don't talk about you know, composite AI and decision intelligence. What is it they're trying to solve as a company? What are the industry challenges that are going on right now that that they could ab- absolutely be a differentiator in if they were able to solve it? Um, and there are every, in every industry there are these um, process, business processes that can be automated where a human is holding them back. Think about you know a doctor gets test results. Um, and it's on a big, long piece of paper and EEG is coming out like this. They're still doing that, by the way. Hmm. If there was a way to summarize into a dashboard the analytic results so that the doctor can now see the probability of disease because of all of these inputs plus the patient's phenotype or what's going on you know, with the pandemic and take that into consideration, that's how I talk to CEOs is using their language, not my language, Mm. and making sure that they're just advancing their company, growing their company, scaling their company, because they're able to to become empowered by AI. And then let us do the background stuff. That's such a great point. Uh, Thank you for that, Diana, because I think, you know, like as sales, as a sales person myself, like it's quite easy to want to talk about how awesome you are. You know what I mean? So like if you spend uh, 30 minutes on a call with a CEO, like how do you spend your time? Um, And I, and you know, for me, it's like, we'll spend 25 minutes talking about them, if not the entire session, because, you know, the more you understand about the problem that they have, the more you're able to map the solution and by extension then the languaging around how you solve that problem in a way that they finally understand. And I think it's such an overlooked uh, thing from a sales perspective. I mean, let's maybe double click on that. What makes a great salesperson selling a complex solution that is AI enabled? You're asking me that. I, yeah. I, I would love to answer that question. I'm so yeah. grateful you asked me. So, and you know, I also, I need to say, I, I, um, after being the CRO at Dynam for three months, I was asked to become the CEO. So I left that out of my initial. So you, you should know I'm the CEO, no longer the CRO. Um, but I've spent a lifetime um, as a chief revenue officer or um, executive vice president of sales. So I'm super passionate about sales. Sales is the lifeblood of any company. Like if you don't have sales, then your product is like a tree falling in the woods. No one knows it exists. Um, So as far as what do I see as the most important, it's God gave us two ears and one mouth. Use them appropriately. <laughs> Listen and understand what the problem is. And if your product or solution can't solve that problem, then end the call. <laughs> like Seriously, just don't even have the conversation. If your product or solution can help them solve that problem, then you need to figure out the best way to present that to them in, in as easy a way as possible without overcomplicating it and then be able to execute afterwards. So be be completely sure you understand the problem so that you can actually customize the solution. I think that is my best advice. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about figuring out the problem or the nuances of the problem? Because I think oftentimes, especially in complex B2B sales where technology like AI is involved, it's kind of like you think it's that like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, if you sell a com- if you sell, if you give someone basically what they want, 
you know, like you'll never give them what they need. And so oftentimes I found in a B2B sales uh, engagement, it's like the customer actually doesn't know they have this problem. Like, you know what I mean? Like they just done it, done it this way for so long and that's all they know. And so like, they don't think that there's a problem. Right. Well, they wouldn't be talking to you if they didn't think there was a problem, but I agree that it needs, it's not just happening from one person. So it's not just the CEO. They need to actually bring in representation from all of the departments that are touched, right? So if it's about revenue growth and they want to increase revenue growth, it can't just be the CEO telling us what the KPIs are. They actually need to bring in someone that's representative of the area in revenue growth that's being impacted, whether that's marketing or, you know, the head of sales. We need to actually understand what their process is now so that we can actually advance it and make it better. But it's it's really the company um, that is doing the work as far as they, they're the ones with proprietary information. They're the ones that understand their decision-making process best. They're the ones that know what an MVP is, their most valuable purchaser or player. And so they're the ones, and we pull it out of them during our consulting um, we have consulting meetings or scoping sessions with them. We have to pull that out of them and whiteboard exactly what the process is before we can even start our job. Mm. Um, I think that is absolutely the most important part of what we do, which is why we hold on to that service end um, as a consultant. And the market's just not ready to plug and play or DIY on all any of this. Mm. That's break. That's decision intelligence. That's true decision intelligence. Diana, what what would you say uh, is like the hardest uh, thing about what you do as CEO of Dynam? Like, if you think about a typical day, you know, you, you're raising money, you, you're talking to customers, you're obviously an incredible salesperson. Um, there's lots of things that you are doing. Um, like, what is the what what would you say is like in a general day is like the hardest thing for you to do, or that you know the hardest challenge that you have to overcome every single day? Yeah, so we're a startup. Um, we just opened our um, late stage seed round. Um, happy to have a lead investor. So we're just, you know, trying to wrap up the rest of the funding so that we can continue to develop the platform and make it commercial, accept, commercially accessible rather than just using it as a, an internal tool. And so I have to balance my time between how much time am I putting toward, you know, the development side and working with the tech team, looking at um, like translating what we're hearing on the sales side so that we know what enhancements to add into the next sprint or the next um, uh, uh, advancement in the software. And, um, you know, where where is my time needed the most? So, you know, doing this rather than constantly following up with customers, which is what I've done in the past. Um, but I do, I do lean more heavily on the revenue and growth side. So, um, not just because I enjoy it the most, but because I feel that revenue is the most important thing that you could have um, as a startup is just traction and generating mm. traction. And on the development side, building something meaningful that's going to get that viral traction, that also excites me. And that's another area I like to spend time on. I think the area that is the least exciting for me where, you know, I'll go to the refrigerator a hundred times before I get started on it is PowerPoint <laughs> presentations I have to do for investors. Um, it's really just, it, to me, it's, um, it's more about storytelling and uh, really putting that on paper and making it as interesting and engaging as possible, which I'm, I'm not a marketing person. I, I can sell and close and, and, and execute really well, but then just having to step back and um, kind of dummy things down a lot mm. um, is hard. That's hard for me. Mm. How do you, I mean, how important is storytelling for you? I mean, not even just in from a fundraising perspective, but from a sales perspective, because, you know, it's like, we know that, you know, people buy stories. It's like, if you tell me that you, you know, I don't know, reduced my a company in manufacturing healthcare is, you know, like supply chain costs by 2000%, like I'm now in, you know what I mean? You haven't even spoken about the how or the what, you know what I mean? None of that stuff. And so the story is almost like the bridge between the IP that you've developed to the need inside the company that you're trying to sell it to. That's my experience. What's your experience been? 
Yeah, so we're more like a doctor, right? So you don't have your doctor sitting there telling you all day long about all the other patient cases that they solved that day and how they're the best situated to solve your case because every case is different. We all have a fingerprint. We're all completely different individuals. Every use case is completely different. So if if you ever, and I'm talking to your audience, are sitting across from a salesperson that tells you that they have uh, an out-of-the-box solution that is a perfect fit for your use case, it's just not true um, mm. because every use case is completely different unless they're like super simple use cases, of course, like hard hat detection or, you know, is that a butterfly? Um, but if you're doing complex decisioning, it requires a consultation, just like going to the doctor and you need your blood pressure checked. You need your eyes checked. You, you need to sit down with us and we need to break down what your problem is, what you're trying to solve, and then we can automate it. And so if, if I were to give any advice, it's, it's that. It's that sometimes things are not out of the box and they're not already up on the shelf to come by. And artificial intelligence is one of those things. It's mm-hmm. at least at the, the decision intelligence level. If you're looking to create an application that is truly your own IP rather than an off-the-shelf off the off solution, then it's going to take a consult and it's going to be a custom solution. Um, like any company that's looking to differentiate isn't going to use an out-of-the-box solution to do that. Mm. They won't differentiate if everyone else is using it. Yeah, I agree. Tell me, um, I'm going to have a bit of fun with you now. So um, I'm going to give you the keys to the uh, Mac Brown show time machine. Um, and I, <laughs> and I'd love for you to go back to like your first day at Dynam. Um, and obviously you received the CRO, you know, the CEO, um, and, uh, and think about all the things you overcame, all the learnings, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. What advice would you give yourself on day one about building, uh, this business? <laughs> I would have taken like physics classes. I, so my team is mainly physicists. That's who I deal with. Um, they're incredibly brilliant. Um, physicists that have a background, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and then different disciplines. So it could be uh, remote sensing or um, computational um, neuroscience, Um, just so crazy, crazy smart people. And uh, what we're doing is really wrapping in physics um, and these um, computational models into uh, model training in order to inform uh, the AI model about what's going on in the physical world. And I, I would have taken some physics classes sooner. Um, I was actually the one, I'll take credit for it, in seeing the invention that had been invented by our chief um, scientific officer, Dimitri Fisher. He's brilliant beyond anything that you've ever seen out there. He worked for Brain Corporation for eight years before coming to us. He's the one that invented context augmented machine learning. It didn't have a name um, when he was explaining it to me. And I just thought this was early on. We, we need to patent that. And so we did, or at least we're going through that process. We have a filed patent. Um, but I would have done that sooner. I would have um, learned more about physics up front sooner so that I could talk to the, the customers sooner. One of the problems when I joined was that there was a disconnect between sales and technology and marketing. So the, 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 the science team was brilliant, but we weren't able to talk about them because we didn't understand as much as we do now. And so I think um, we could have done that sooner. That's my answer, my final mm. answer. It's your final answer. Sounds like, uh, what's that game show? Like the million dollar game show, whatever it was. Were you winning, uh, what's it? Anyway, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> um, something millionaire. Do you want million- to be a millionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? There you go. There you go. That's my final answer. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, Diana, final thing uh, for you. Um, why do you do what you do? Like, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Mm, yeah. So passion and a challenge. Um, those, those are sort of at, you're the first person to ask me that I think maybe, uh, I get excited about solving problems. So my friends have called me the puzzler my whole life. Um, I love solving problems. If someone's got a problem and they say, God, no one can help me with this. I'm like on fire. I don't even want to sleep. I just want to, be the one to solve the thing that no one else could solve. I like to do things that other people can't do. Um, uh, in marketing, in marketing 101 in college, it was my favorite class. 
they taught me that the majority or the propensity for people to walk into the store and turn right is 80% of the time. And so as soon as I learned that, I started turning left when I walked in because they put all the gym jacks there. They want you to buy all the stuff, right? So if you can think outside the box and you can think differently than everyone else, then you're just 10 steps ahead of everyone all the way along. So amazing, amazing stuff. I didn't know that. Why do they turn right? Um, that's Can a you good question. I don't, I don't remember what the, the answer was to that. I think it's the way that stores light, like it's purposeful. So they create like a walking trail. So you walk in and, you know, you walk in, it's kind of uncomfortable to go mm. left, even a grocery store, right? They put all of the, the dry goods in front of you when you first walk in. And then you know, people start on this side and they, it's just habitual and you do what you've always done. No one really questions it. Yeah. Um, yeah, have you so, watched? <clears throat> have you watched that movie Zoolander? No. Okay. <laughs> well, if you like like re- like sort of really bad comedy, <laughs> it depends. Either it's like Marmite. Either you love it or you hate it. Okay. But, but it's uh, but uh, Zoolander. Um, forget the name of the guy's. Uh, let me get the guy's name now. So basically, um, he's been uh, Ben Stiller. There you go. So Ben Stiller's been in Langform. So Zoolander was one of them, and he's a model. Um, and so on the runway, he always turns right. Uh-huh. So, yeah and then at the, at the end he's like yeah and like there's a whole thing called blue steel it's like a look and he goes <laughs> and, he, and then he's like I'm like but i turned left you know like it's a weird stupid thing anyway but uh yeah. it's obvious like the profile is better on the right than the left kind of turned left i get it yeah, yeah yeah exactly but diana thank you so much for being here it's been uh really great to get your story on the show and you guys are doing amazing things and i can only wish you the best for the future Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Anytime. Thanks, everybody. Ciao. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients clients haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an x.com.